Hello and welcome to the Greenhouse Church Podcast. My name is Benj Gould and I'm the lead pastor. We are all about creating an environment where anyone can follow the way of Jesus. So we hope that this teaching helps you on your way. Why do we do Sunday gatherings? It's a good question. Um, to do it in this format, it's pretty expensive. Like we need a building. Um, it's staffing costs. Uh, there's equipment, you know, coffee, tea. There's insurance. So it's expensive. It's kind of time intensive, right? There's people that volunteer. You know, the band are rehearsing. There's training that people need to do. Safe spaces, kind of legal stuff that people need to do. Um, and it's kind of repetitive. We kind of do the same thing every week. We sing a couple of songs. We hear it, talk, we open the scriptures, pray, chat to a few people. So why would we do something that is expensive, time-intensive, and repetitive? It's a good question to ask. You know, during COVID, like every other church, um, we had to go online, which was fun for about three weeks, and then it was just incredibly depressing. Um, and we were realizing, we're talking about this as a leadership, like what is it about gathering that we miss? Because we, we're realizing you can put, you know, the same talk online, the exact same songs, all the same content, but there's something not quite right about it. Like there's something missing. And there is something about coming and being together in a room, embodied. We are embodied beings. We're not just kind of brains on sticks, but we have bodies and we are integrated people. And there's something about not just the content of what we do, but the context. You know, where we sit, the, the room that we sit in matters. The people that we sit around matter. The incidental conversations that we have matters. And we realize that it's not just the content. The content's fine, the content's good, but it's actually where the content leads us. Like it's the moment of reflection or the moment of um, sensing the presence of God or it's the conversation after or it's the sharing of a prophetic word or whatever it is. Like there is something that happens around the stuff that we do. Like it's not actually about the stuff we do, but there's something in amongst it that is really important. And I wanna um, try and give language to that through the biblical idea of the altar, which we see all through scripture, the altar. Last week I talked about the table as really a center of gravity for the Christian church. I wanna talk about the altar as the other, the other center of gravity, the two kind of wings to the bird. Um, all through Scripture, the altar is a, is a place, it's a thing you would go to often to do sacrifices, but it was about tending the presence of God. The altar is where you come and tend to the presence of God. Um, A.W. Tozer says that God's presence is the central fact of Christianity. God's presence is the central fact of Christianity. Everything we do as followers of Jesus, everything the church does, everything Israel has done all through history is about the presence of God. And what we do here as we come around the altar is we tend to the presence of God. I want to show you three things that the altar does through Scripture. Number one is the altar is for remembering God. So all through, particularly Genesis and through Exodus, it's all through Scripture. I want to share a few examples. Is that whenever God would show up, 
Whenever God did something or spoke or there was something miraculous that would happen, people would respond by putting pillars up, taking rocks and standing them up, and they would call it an altar, this space to remember what God has done. So we see in um, Genesis 8, verse 20. So um, Noah, you know, it's the flood, the flood recedes. Noah comes out of the ark and says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and there he sacrificed as burnt offerings, animals and birds that had been approved for that purpose. So the, the flood recedes and Noah's response to that is to build an altar, to remember what has happened here. It goes on um, uh, Genesis chapter 12, verse 7. The Lord appeared to Abraham, Abram, before his name was Abraham, Abram and said, to your descendants, I'll give you this land. So God speaks. So he built an altar there to the Lord who appeared to him. Exodus 24, um, this is Moses, this is after, after the Exodus, people delivered out of slavery through the Red Sea, miraculous stuff happening. God, um, Moses goes up onto Sinai, receives um, the law from God, writes it on tablets, and it says this, Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. Then he arose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain with 12 pillars for the 12 tribes of Israel. And so there's this response that like when God speaks, when God does something, we make an altar so that, in, so that when we walk past that place again, we remember, wow, God spoke here. Um, there's uh, a guy, his, his name is Samuel Johnson. He says, um, people need to be reminded more than they need to be instructed. And so much of what we're doing here, it's great if you learn something new. That's awesome. That's a bonus. But really what we're coming to do here is to be reminded again. Because how easily do we forget the presence of God? How do we, easily do we forget what God has done? And so when people would raise altars, it would be like we would walk past that place again and go, oh, yeah, I remember what happened there. Or your kids would go, what's that, Dad? Or that's when God did this. And Sundays for us becomes an altar in that, in that sense. We go through the week and it's so easy for us to forget the presence of God, forget what God has done, and to walk back into this place and go, oh, I remember again. I love that, that word remember, like, like to remember something, like to put, your, to put your arms and your legs back on, like to reintegrate you, to refine yourself, to remember, oh, this is who I am. This is who God is. So much of what we're doing here is just remembering. The second thing that altars did were that they were for sacrificing to God. We've been reading in our, um, we have like a, a shared Bible plan on version, and we're in Leviticus at the moment, which is like pretty dense and dry if you've ever read it. But it's all about um, the Levites who were a tribe of Israel and they were like the priestly class of Israel. They were the people that were um, the kind of linchpin between the people of God and God. They were like the people that were tending the presence of God. And so there's all these rules and laws about how to tend the presence of God, around how to set up the, the tabernacle, the, the temple, how, what sacrifices to give. It's all really, really specific stuff. Um, but really, it's about tending the presence of God, um, really deeply specific stuff. Um, and all of these laws, you read them and you realize like they're actually very gracious to a kind of a pre-modern society who's trying to work out how to live in the world. They've been slaves for 400 years and they're trying to work out how to find the way, their way in the world. And there's all sorts of stuff around like, you know, 
if you've got mould, then like fix the mould issue. Like all, wash your hands. There's all that sort of stuff that's like kind of common sense to us. Um, but all the other nations around Israel also had altars where they would also tend to the presence of their gods. But they would often want to get the attention of gods and they would do that through crazy means like cutting themselves and like sacrificing, like just terrible stuff, sacrificing kids. Um, and so this is really gracious of God to say, if you've messed up, this is exactly how to make yourself right with me. You don't have to sacrifice your kids. You don't have to hurt yourself. This is what you do. And there is something very, very gracious and beautiful about that clarity. How do I become right with God? And so the altar was where you would bring a sacrifice, a priest would sacrifice it, and that would be like an atonement for sins or to make you clean or a thankfulness sacrifice. Um, but it's beautiful because it's like you hurt someone, you messed up, it's actually okay, we can make that right. There is a way to make this right. Um, it is like this little hot spot of the forgiveness and grace of God. There is a way to make yourself right. Really, really beautiful and gracious. It seems so like primitive and pre-modern to us, like the idea of the whole sacrificial system, but it's actually grace. Now we come to the altar of the cross where the lamb has already been slain, like the, the sacrifice has already been made. And this is the new kind of hotspot of forgiveness and grace for us where we receive the welcome back of the Father. A surrender is our new form of sacrifice. So the altar is for remembering, the altar is for sacrificing, and then thirdly, the altar is for thanking. On the altar, we, we thank God. So in Leviticus, there's generally two types of sacrifices to be made. There's one that's atoning for us, like you've done something wrong or you're unclean. This is how to make it right. The other type of sacrifice was a thankfulness sacrifice, a, a, a gratitude. And so, for example, there's the first fruits. You would give 10%, the first part of your uh, grain or whatever you're growing, and you would give it to God, not to make yourself right with God, but to realize everything I have is a gift and everything has come from God. And this is a way of me reminding myself that all of this belongs to God. All of life is a gift. Um, I love Psalm 100. The message version says that thank you is the password to God's presence. Thank you is the password to God's presence. So there's remembering, sacrificing, and thanking. And you can sum up worship, you know, we, that, that word worship is a really strange, ominous word, but it really just means, to worship means to remember God, to sacrifice to God, to surrender to God, and to thank God. That's what worship is. It is reorienting our life around the center of gravity that is Jesus and his way. It, it's, it's a reorientation. Worship is whatever you're throwing yourself at whatever you're chasing after, whatever you're looking for. Um, and, and as humans, we are always worshipping something. We are always chasing something. That's just how we're designed. And we find our true self, our true presence, when that is focused on something that can hold our weight. David Foster Wallace says, whatever you worship will eat you alive. Really interesting little phrase. Whatever you worship will eat you alive. And so if we all worship something, I guess it's good to ask the question, what do we want to eat us alive? What do we want to give ourselves to? Our bank account? Our career? The house? 
people's attention, affection, approval, or the living God. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, says this, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. This is kind of altar talk. Give yourself a living sacrifice. It's really interesting. I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Not just like your mind, not just your belief, but like your whole self. We are embodied people. We are not just brains on sticks. Um, But it's not to get right with God. We're not giving God a sacrifice to like get his approval, get his attention. No, give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. It is a response. It is a thankfulness offering. And then it goes on and says, um, let them be living, a living and holy sacrifice. Now that's interesting language again, because on the altar, um, you would kill something, right? That's how you would, you would worship. And so this is an invitation to give ourselves, to give our whole lives back to God, worship, reorienting, throwing ourselves at God, um, not to be a dead sacrifice, not to lose ourselves, but to find ourselves. And Jesus died on the cross so that we could be alive on the altar. That's kind of how it works, that we find our true life, our true living on the altar. So worship is remembering God, surrendering to God, and thanking God. And so altars remind us that they're places and, and kind of moments in our life, in our heart, that remind us of the presence of God. Remind us that the end goal is actually union with Him. And so if, if our Sunday space is an altar, it is about coming again, remembering, surrendering, and thanking God. There's this great little story in 2 Chronicles of a, a king who comes to power. His name's Josiah, and he's eight years old at the time. And um, so just a little kid. And he's an epic king, like he's an awesome king. And he's come from a lineage that's not been good. Israel is messed up. Um, and it says this, Josiah was eight years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight and followed the example of his ancestor, David, who was also a great king. He did not turn away from doing what was right. During the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, Josiah began to seek the God of his ancestor, David. And in the twelfth year, he began to purify Judah and Jerusalem, destroying all the pagan shrines, the Asherah poles, and the carved idols and cast images. So they're all other altars. Um, He ordered the altars of Baal be demolished and the incense altars which stood above them be broken down. He also made sure that the Asherah poles, the carved idols and the cast images were smashed and scattered over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. And so Israel was in 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 a point where they had turned away from the altar that they were meant to tend in the tabernacle, in the temple, and they were worshiping the altars of all the other things around us. Um, around them. And this is just like, this is where we find ourselves in life today. There are like a billion Asherah poles and, and altars begging us for us to remember them, sacrifice to them, thank them, 
altars of our bank account, altars of um, people's approval, altars of our career, altars of our house, altars of the next holiday, our sexuality, our identity, like all this stuff is just is, um, demanding our remembrance and our sacrifice. And he goes on and he orders, King Josiah, he orders the restoration of the temple. So they hadn't been using the temple where the altar is, where the hotspot of God's forgiveness is. And he orders like this restoration process of the temple. And while they're restoring the temple, they find the scriptures. They find the first five books, the Torah, um, which they had lost. And King Josiah reads the scriptures and he goes, oh my gosh, we've gotten so off track. And so he calls everyone together in verse 31. The king took his place of authority beside the pillar. This is the altar language again. So he's in, inside the tabernacle, inside the, the temple where the altar is, and renewed the covenant. A covenant is a relationship word in the Lord's presence. He pledged to obey the Lord by keeping all his commands, laws, and decrees with all his heart and soul. He promised to obey all the terms of the covenant that were written in the scroll. And so we see Josiah cut down all the other altars, restore the altar of of God, and recommit to our relationship with God. And I wonder this morning, just as I finish, if we need our own reform, just like Josiah's reform, that if we realize that we look around and there are like tons of altars in our life to set up to other things, that we actually need to cut down, that are actually unhealthy for us. Andy Crouch, um, he's a writer, he says, idols or alternate altars at first give you everything and ask for nothing. At the end, they ask for everything and they give you nothing. Altars, other altars, other idols, at first demand nothing, give you everything, but in the end, demand everything and give you nothing. C.S. Lewis puts it like this. He says, idols always break the hearts of their worshippers. And maybe there's some of us, like Josiah, that do need our own reform. In Leviticus um, chapter 6, I read the other day, there's this little line. It says, the altar fire must always be kept burning. It must never go out. As the role of the, the priest was just to keep the altar hot, to keep that little hot spot of forgiveness and relationship and covenant hot. And what we're to do here, like when we're, when we're coming again, a gathering as a community, scattering out, gathering as a community, we are coming again to keep the altar hot, to remember, to surrender, to thank, to keep the presence of God central to who we are as the people of God. And so my prayer is that this would be a, a hot spot, an altar, that we would tend to the presence of God here. Why do we do Sunday gatherings? They are expensive, they're time intensive, they're repetitive, but we do this because it is an altar space for us where we come and we remember. We remember who we are, we remember who God is. We surrender again, cut down the other Asherah poles in our lives, and we thank God. We put him back at the center of gravity of our lives. Would you stand with me? Father, we just thank you for your goodness. 
and your relationship. We thank you for your presence and just what a gift that is. That we are made alive in your presence, in relationship with you. And Father, I just pray that you would help us be a community that actually live this stuff out. That this space, these gatherings that we have wouldn't just be rote repetition or ritualistic, but there would be a real depth of meaning. We don't want to play church. What a stupid thing to do. What a weird thing to waste money and time on. But we do want a relationship with you. And so I pray a blessing over, over this space. That your presence would be a central part of who we are. And God, I pray for those of us that are feeling a little bit convicted about the other altars that we look around in our life and have, the other things that are demanding that we sacrifice to them. Would you just help us be a little bit like eight-year-old Josiah? (laughs) Having no idea what we're doing, but just following your voice. May we continue to recapture who you are. God, I pray that idols will be cut down in our life, things that are actually trying to harm us and take us. Stuff that's good stuff in our life, family and career and house and friends and the holiday, all that stuff. But that's just good things that are never meant to be ultimate things. So we come back again and we declare that we want the ultimate thing to be the ultimate thing. And we believe that's you, Jesus. Thank you that you have sacrificed for us on the cross so that we can find ourselves alive on the altar. May we be a people of your presence. In your name, amen.